Have you ever asked someone the question, what in the world were you thinking? Maybe some of you guys are even wondering that right now. What in the world was I thinking when I put on this bright flowery shirt today, right? Or maybe better yet, have you ever tried to really wonder what was going on inside the mind of someone else? In fact, don't sometimes you wish you could actually look inside them, look inside their minds so you can figure out what was their thought process? What led to this point so you could really, truly understand them? Perhaps maybe you've been wondering that about your boss, trying to figure out, look, did your boss really like the work that you've been doing? And when they were mad at you, were they really mad at you or were they just trying to take something out on you? Don't you wish you could look inside the mind of your boss? Come on, young adults, single adults in the room, don't you wish that when you went out on the first date with that person, that you could look inside their mind to figure out, look, is this really going well right now? Do I need to start planning for the second date or do I need to go ahead and ask for the check right now because this is not going to go anywhere? Parents in the room, do you wish that you could actually look inside the mind of your child and figure out what in the world they were thinking? I have four kids. My youngest daughter, her name is Karis. She's five years old. And for whatever reason now, anytime I walk into a room where she is, or she's around a corner and I come around the corner, she immediately pops her hands up in the air and said, I do nothing. <laughs> and I would love to be able to look inside the mind of her to see what in the world she was actually thinking in that moment, that she has some matches somewhere and she's going to burn down our house. Husbands in the room, wouldn't you love to look inside the mind of your wife? To figure out what in the world she was thinking when she says, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> or when she says, it's fine. For some of us, maybe it's even the opposite of that, okay? Maybe you wouldn't necessarily want to look in the mind of somebody because, because I've even said it here before that if you could really look inside the mind of somebody else, if you could really see all of the thoughts, good and bad, flowing through the mind of someone, in fact, you may even move over a couple of seats if you knew all the thoughts that were really going through their mind. One of the problems, the challenges in our world right now is that we are often looking toward others for answers. We are often looking to others for our purpose and looking deeper inside ourselves for our hope or even our salvation or even for our future. But looking further inside of us, even others, will only leave us wondering, look, is this it? There has to be something else. Today for the Easter message, we're going to look at the resurrection but we are also going to look at some people who are locked into their own perspective. They were locked on to looking further inside of themselves. But it wasn't until they looked at the empty tomb that they looked inside the empty tomb that something changed. Look, church, today, have you been locked into looking inside of you? Do you feel stuck do you feel like nothing in your life will ever change? Because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But with Christ, everything is possible. 
Look, the resurrection shows us that looking further inside us only leads to more brokenness. It only leads to more stuckness. But what happens when you look inside the empty tomb? Today, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 24. And um, we don't always do this on a Sunday morning. There's no biblical requirement for this. But sometimes we like to do something that's called responsive reading. So you're going to see on the screens here in just a moment the passage we're going to be reading today. And so I'm going to read the parts that are not in bold. And this responsive reading means that you guys are going to read the parts that are in bold, okay? So we're going to read some of the parts of this passage together. So don't be trying to take my parts that are not in bold, okay? Read your parts that are in bold. So let's all go ahead and stand and look at Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. It says, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men, two angels stood by them in this dazzling apparel, and they were frightened. And they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, They told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, before you're seated today, I want you to help announce my sermon title to the people sitting next to you or standing next to you to at least three people. The title of the sermon is Look Inside. So tell three people, look inside and tell them Happy Easter before you're seated today. I titled today's message, Look Inside. Because number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, nobody expected nobody. Not one of Jesus' followers expected to go to the tomb that morning and find that there was nobody. Look at verse one again. It says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, these women went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, and they were perplexed about this. So do you get the picture? So three days before this on Friday... What we call Good Friday, Jesus is crucified by the Roman government. 
Now, the Romans didn't invent crucifixion, but they perfected it. It was their primary tool for punishing criminals to make sure the maximum amount of pain was given. And every person that they crucified, they made sure that person was dead. They were masters at execution. And see, when they had killed Jesus on behest of the Jewish authorities on that Friday, they made sure that Jesus was dead before he was taken off the cross. And when Jesus was taken off the cross, it was right after Passover and right before the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was a day where the Jewish people did no work. So pretty much Jesus dies on this Friday and two of his followers, Joseph and Nicodemus, come and they take the body of Jesus. But because the Sabbath was right around the corner where the Jewish people did no work, they literally took Jesus' body, wrapped him up, and put him in this tomb. And it was their goal because the Sabbath, no work, they were going to come back on Sunday and finish the burial process. So that's why here we see that early on Sunday morning, the women, and maybe they saw that the men didn't do a good enough job to begin with, the women went with their burial spices because they were going to finish the funeral process. And when they take the spices, it's pretty much, it's kind of like how today, if there's a, a funeral for someone we love or care about, we may take either flowers or something to remember them by, and we may put it in the casket or put it next to the graveside. So when they were taking these spices, it was to complete the burial process to show honor, to pay their respects for the person who had died. So pretty much they were taking the spices that day because they were going to complete the burial process for Jesus. They were expecting to find the body of Jesus still there. They were expecting to go and pay their respects. They were expecting to see that Jesus is dead. Nobody expected to find no body. In fact, I heard another pastor say one time, none of Jesus' followers were outside the tomb early that Sunday morning doing a countdown. No one was outside the tomb. Peter, James, and John were not there saying, five, four, get ready, guys. Any minute, three, two, he's about to bust out of that tomb. One, here he is. Nobody was outside the tomb that morning ready for the resurrection to rain in. No one was outside the tomb that morning waiting for the ball to drop to see Jesus rise from the dead. They knew. They had come to believe in their minds and in their hearts that Jesus was gone. That was it. And hope was gone as well. And let me just ask you something on this Easter. What is it that you have come to believe that has taken away your hope. For these Jesus followers, all hope was gone. Everything in them, their thoughts and their actions, expected to see that Jesus is dead and that he would indeed remain that way. But then they looked inside and saw nobody. Look, I know some of you today have doubted that this Jesus has been risen some of you today have doubted that things can ever actually change in your life. Some of you have doubted that you will never be able to overcome that struggle or that sin in your life. I know that some of you tried relationship after relationship, substance after substance to fix what is broken. 
I know you try to look further inside yourself, hoping that you can find hope in you. And I would ask you the same question that the angel asked the women that day. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why are you seeking hope and life among things in your life that are dead or broken in your life? The angel will go on to say in verse 6, look, he is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And then they remembered his words. The disciples thought it was over. They were stuck in this mindset of doubt and even some misguided expectations. But then they looked inside the empty tomb and they saw no body. Look, it wasn't what they expected, but it was exactly what they needed. Number two, church, looking inside the empty tomb, it shows us that everyone in culture who's the least is actually treasured by Christ. Looking inside the empty tomb shows us that everyone who may be considered the least in culture is actually treasured by Jesus. Look again what it says here in verse 10. It says, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And the disciples, they did not believe the women when they told them that Jesus had risen from the dead. And another gospel account of this story, Matthew chapter 28, verses 5 through 10. It says, the angel said to the women, look, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Look, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. You know, we are often looking around and looking toward others for our value, looking outside of ourselves, looking outside for our worth. But look, we need to look into the empty tomb and we need to look toward the risen Savior. You know, it's so interesting to note about this that in the first century, women were often treated as second-class citizens. And in fact, in the 21st century, you may have heard it said that Christianity— those that follow Jesus, that this is one of the most either sexist or racist religions in the world. Let me just say, don't believe the lie. Jesus actually raises the value of women right here. In fact, there's no other belief system, no other author or perfecter of a faith that shows greater love and greater value for people than Jesus Christ. Look, God entrusted the truth first to these women, that he had risen from the dead. The women even got to see Jesus first. In fact, in the first century, no one, no male rabbi would have a woman following them. 
It was even considered a disgrace. But Jesus didn't do that. In fact, in the first century, a woman couldn't even testify in court in Roman culture. In fact, one of the things that people who were against the gospel, against the resurrection, who tried to disprove the resurrection, one of the things that they would actually take was that the women brought the testimony about Jesus to the disciples to say, you know what, that's one of the reasons why the resurrection didn't happen. In fact, there was a second century Roman philosopher named Celsus, and he would use it to say that because the testimony came from women, that the resurrection didn't actually happen, that it was false. But Jesus entrusted the truth to these women, and he said, go and tell. Look, right now the world says if you want equality, you have to tear down other people. Right now the world says if you want equality, you have to devalue somebody else so that you can see your value. But Jesus has said that he's put all of that to death. Any of the sin or shame or guilt, he has put that to death by dying on the cross and bodily raising from the dead. And receiving him as Lord, you find where your real value is, and that is in Christ. So that anyone won't be separated from the truth, but said anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. And when you are in Christ, you get a brand new future. You get a brand new identity. Look, if you are in Christ, you are not what was done to you. You are what was done for you. If you are in Christ, you are no longer defined by your sin and your shame, but you are now defined by the Savior. If you are in Christ, you are not a victim, but you are victorious because the one who conquered death and sin and the grave now lives in you. In fact, Peter would even say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, Look, now you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy mercy. Look, in Christ, even the least are not less. They are treasured and dearly loved in Christ. And then last one, church, number three. Look, looking inside the empty tomb, looking at the risen Christ, it points to the fact that nobody means that anybody can be set free. Nobody. An empty tomb means that no matter who you are, you can find freedom that is in Christ. Look, seeing the resurrection, look, it brings transformation. Some of Jesus' followers had either doubted him, they were in disbelief, they had even disowned him. In fact, one of Jesus' followers named Peter, he actually disowned Christ. He did this very thing. In fact, when Jesus was taken to be arrested and when he was about to be crucified, Peter denied Jesus hard. He denied that he even knew him, that he knew anything about him, to the point that he was even cursing at people who were saying, hey, do you know Jesus? And he denied them so much. He denied him three times when, he, when Jesus was, was arrested. And after that third time, when Peter had denied Jesus, like the scripture says that he was riddled by guilt and shame. 
It says that he even wept bitterly. But look at verse 24 again. Look at verse, or chapter 24, verse 12 again. It says, but Peter, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. In fact, the other eyewitness accounts of this Jesus story, the other eyewitness accounts make note to point out that Peter was actually singled out when Jesus was calling his disciples to go and meet him. In fact, in Mark chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus or the angel said, look, go tell his disciples and Peter, go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. And then later on in Luke 24, verse 34, it says, saying this, the Lord has risen and indeed has appeared to Simon Peter. You know, Jesus would actually go and seek out Peter, even though he doubted him, even though he expected that Jesus was done with his life. After all, Jesus was dead. There was no hope for any reconciliation, no hope that his sin and his shame and his guilt would be erased. He thought Jesus was dead, it was over, and that God has rejected him. But church, have you ever had someone challenge your expectations? Maybe you thought things were going to be one way. After all, that's the way things usually go, right? But maybe you thought they were going to be one way, but then they, they surprised you with their actual response to you. There is a sweet senior saint named Mary Ann Horton who had been going to this church for a very long time. And I actually did her funeral in December of last year. At age 88 years old, she passed away and went to be with the Lord. Uh, a little bit over a year before that, Mary Ann Horton was living at home with her son-in-law, Tim Bean, and her daughter, Mary Beth Bean. And there was a time last year where Tim Bean had actually had double knee replacement. So I went to go do my pastor thing. I went to go visit the family and take some time, see how he was doing, and also be able to pray for them and hopefully encourage them some with God's word. Now, the Sunday before, I went to go and see Mary Ann Horton. I was up here, like I often am on a Sunday morning, sharing with the church, and we were talking about how valuable it is and how we need to right now internalize and memorize God's word and scripture. And I shared with the church that one of the ways that I often memorize scriptures nowadays, especially in my old age, is that I take a verse and I'll make up some sort of song or little ditty about the verse. And then I, that doing that tune of the verse, like I'm able to memorize the scripture. So that morning I sang this verse song in front of the whole church. And then later on, after that service, I went to go visit the family to see how Tim was doing. And so Tim Bean, Mary Beth Bean, and his sweet saint, Mary Ann Horton, was there when I went to see how Tim was doing. And when I arrived there, again, I was doing my little pastor thing, checking in on the family, and um, got to the point where I was about to pray for Tim, spend some time in prayer for him. And Mary Ann, again, the sweet saint, 88 years old, unsolicited, said this to me. She said, I saw you on the TV, which we broadcast our service live on Sunday mornings. She said, I saw you on the TV, and I wanted you to know this. Now, what I expected was for her to say, Pastor, that was a great message. Pastor, thank you for preaching your little pastor heart out. 
Thank you for even challenging us to memorize scripture. Thank you for sharing that, hey, it's hard for you, and sometimes it's even hard for me. And thank you for giving us another way that we can internalize God's word. That is what I expected. But sweet Mary Ann Horton, the sweet saint, 88 years old, said to me, Pastor, I saw you singing on the TV, and I just want to say this to you. It wasn't very good. (laughs) And then she said, you should never do that again. (laughs) Wasn't what I expected, but to each his own, right? A little bit later on, Mary Ann's health started to decline. In fact, she would spend some time in some of those rehabilitation centers and in the hospital. And there was one time I went to visit her was when she was in one of those rehabilitation centers. And I went in there. And what I expected, what I expected to find somebody who was discouraged or maybe even afraid. And I even had my little, I was going to do my little pastor thing again. I had some verses to share. I was ready to pray for her. But when I went to visit her, she actually shared with me the verse that I was going to share with her. I had Psalm 46, verse 1 down, which says that God is a refuge and a strength and an ever-present help in times of trouble. And she said to me, before I even open God's word, she said, Pastor, I know right now that God is my refuge and my strength. I know that he is with me right now in this trouble. I didn't expect someone to have their faith so strong in a moment like that. I didn't expect that she would encourage me and even pray for me. There was another time that she was in the hospital, about a month or so before she passed. And again, what I expected was to walk into someone who was discouraged and even afraid. But during that moment, she said this. She said, Pastor, I know where my faith lies. I know that my Savior is not dead. He's alive. I know that if he's going to give me more time right now on earth, great. I know that if he takes me home to be with him right now, great. But I know because Jesus died, and I know that he, because he bodily rose from the dead, I had this peace in him, and I had this freedom in him. Most of you probably do not know Mary Ann Horton. In fact, she would be considered one of the least of these in culture. She wasn't a billionaire or a multimillionaire or had some huge following on social media. I don't think she even knew what Facebook was. She didn't have this huge following, but even the least are treasured by Christ. And even when her body was riddled with pain and in decline, she held on to the peace that is found in Christ. Because he had died and rose from the dead, her salvation was secure. She knew that there was peace and there was freedom in Jesus. And no matter what happened to her, even if the worst thing happened, she was going to be with him. Look, church, nobody means that anybody can be set free. Look, Peter probably expected that the rest of his life was going to be riddled with shame and guilt, but Jesus calls him by name. He draws him to himself, and he restores him. Look, this is so good, okay? Turn to John chapter 21, and this is where Peter actually gets restored. John chapter 21, verse 17 Look, Jesus said to Peter a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, Simon, the son of John, do you love me? And Peter was actually grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And sometimes let me just say, look, if if you have walked away from Jesus in this season, and if you feel either his conviction 
or it's correction. Sometimes it can feel like he's trying to hurt you, but he's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to help you. Even in his conviction and his correction, man, he's trying to encourage you. He's trying to call you and draw you back to himself. He's trying to show you where real meaning and purpose and all the things that you try to fix your life with are found, not of those things, but in him. Peter said to him, look, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Look, Jesus called out Simon Peter by name after he had rejected him and even walked away. But he was drawn to look inside, to look inside this empty tomb and to look toward the risen Savior, to see the one that already knew everything that was inside of him, but believing and receiving Jesus' life, the life that Jesus wanted for him, was what would actually cause Peter to be set free. And this means that we can be free. It's a type of freedom that's found in Jesus, the type of freedom that produces your purpose. It's a type of freedom that shows that you can actually discover your calling. The type of freedom that shows you who you are actually created to be. The type of freedom that says that you are no longer a slave to sin, but instead you are no longer under the bondage of sin, but now you have found freedom in Christ. It's a type of freedom to know where you are going to spend eternity because of the one who conquered death. And as our worship team makes their way back up to the stage, look, this Easter, would you look inside? For the believer in the room, the one who's been far from God for a long time, are you stuck today? Are you stuck in a season of despair or doubt, or unmet expectations, or maybe even some misguided expectations? Are you stuck in worry? Have you been trying to look in all these other places for the answers? Would you come back? Would you set aside your shame, or sin, or doubt? And would you look inside again at the empty tomb? Would you look again to the risen Savior? It is in him where freedom is found. And even the least of these are treasured by Christ. Look, nobody means anybody, even you today. Even if you have denied Christ, you've moved away from him. Even if you've denied him, that freedom can be found in him. Would you mark this as the moment today that you say, I am returning to Christ. And for the person who hasn't yet trusted Jesus, would you make this the day that you put aside all your expectations to how life should have gone so far? Would you put aside anything that's been holding you back and again, all the things that you've tried to fix your life with that's only leading to more brokenness? Would you put those things aside? And would you look inside the empty tomb and see the risen Savior? This Jesus who is God died on the cross to pay the price for your sin. He bodily rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, 
conquering the grave, making a way. So when you look inside the empty tomb, nobody means anybody can be set free. Would you pray with me this morning? And if you're in this room today, man, and you are ready to trust Jesus as the Lord and leader of your life right there where you are, if you're ready to trust him for the first time, would you pray this simple prayer where you are? And look, these words aren't magical, but they're just communicating to the Lord what he's been doing in your heart, how he's been calling you. Would you pray this right where you are? Would you say, Jesus, I've looked inside myself, but I'm looking to you. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my past. Today, Jesus, I receive you as Lord. I believe who you are. And I want you to lead me. And while everyone says their heads down and their eyes closed, if you just pray to ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life, would you raise your hand up so I can pray for you? Go ahead and raise it up, raise it up high so I can see it. Keep it up just for a moment. Raise it up for a moment. Anybody else? All right, you can put your hands down. And if you're in this room today, and you know, look, I have a relationship with Jesus. I know I've trusted him as Lord, but for whatever reason, you've walked away. If today is the day you're marking the moment where you say, you know what, I'm no longer going to look further inside me or look to anyone else. I'm going to look toward the risen Savior because in him, my value, my worth, my future. If you're returning to Christ today, would you raise your hand up so I can pray for you? Raise it up. Raise it up. All right, anybody else? Okay, you can put your hands down. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that Easter, God, whether this is our first Easter, whether it's the one that we've been celebrating for years, God, wherever we are, God, the empty tomb, Lord, it shows us that you're not afraid of our doubts or our unmet or misguided expectations. None of your disciples expected to find an empty tomb. But it means that everyone, every single person who looks to you, God, even though they're considered to be the least by everyone else, they're treasured by you. God, I praise you that nobody means that anybody, any one of us, any moment right now today can find our freedom, God, our purpose, our future in you. God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.